Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rust Game Dev Podcast. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about Fish Fight. Um, we are super excited to have the uh, or some of the developers here today. And before we get started, just a reminder, my name is Forrest, or Angel on Fyra, and I'm one of the co-hosts of the Rust Game Dev Podcast. We also have Richard here as well. Hello. And then with us today, we are joined by Erland and Alex. And so Erland, I'll pass it over to you first. Can you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Sure thing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've been involved in the, the Rust game development community since uh, quite early on. I, uh, I guess I, I mostly got my start with it with the Amethyst community and uh, I've just been sticking around ever since and I'm still kind of part of that and figuring out way out a way forward for that organization which is in a way tied to uh, what we're doing here at Fish Fight as well and that's kind of a longer story of its own that <laughs> we can do a whole other podcast on uh, which I'd love to do sometime um, but Fish Fight yeah we, we can probably get uh, sort of a circle back to some origin story stuff but in short it's an open source project that we've been working on for about a year and a half now. And it's this uh, 2D platformer sort of a shoot and jump uh, game with very simple fun. Um, yeah, that we're gonna try to have fully released in a sort of V1 version uh, by the middle of this year. Awesome, that's super exciting. And uh, Alex, I'll just pass it over to you as well if you wanna give a little bit of an introduction about yourself and what you do on the project. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm uh, the lead developer, uh, and uh, I I started out uh, in the in the Rust game dev community with this game more or less. Like I I remember checking out Rust in 2016 or something, but it was uh, way too immature, so I went back to C plus uh, plus. So now uh, I started out as a developer, and now I took over the lead role when when Fedor left. Uh, yeah. That's about it uh, on that side. Awesome. I also also uh, work on an en engine on the side, but now we're going to integrate that into to Fish Fight instead. Or we have integrated most of it into Fish Fight, so we will just uh, source an engine from that instead. Okay, nice. And so it sounds like with the project, um, you've been working on it for about a year and a half. And so I'm sort of curious about what were the inspirations for this project? Where did it come from? And then also um, with the development history, how has things sort of changed over this year and a half? Yeah. Um, so the, the project, the, the first inspirations of it uh, sort of took root about three, four years ago uh, when... Me and a buddy of mine, uh, Jacob, both living here in Oslo. Uh, we picked up this game called uh, Duck Game, and uh, yeah, we we just uh, we we never uh, left. We we just kept playing it since, and it's such a simple game to its core uh, that we just love playing every time we have a play session together. And um, this game, it kind of uh, became clear to us over the years that uh, it wasn't gonna be developed any further and it it was this beautifully moddable game even on a, a game console like the nintendo switch we could kind of tweak around with it enough to make our own levels at least and sort of make our own little playground that uh, kept the game fresh for us and we just looked at this game and kept sort of talking amongst ourselves saying like we should just keep the party going somehow we need to keep this thing alive because we, we love it so much and we don't want to see it uh, ever go stale um, 
and yeah, <laughs> talk kind of eventually just turned more and more into uh, action. And yeah, about a year and a half ago, uh, yeah, could be longer at this point. It's, it's a bit hard to keep track lately. But uh, I, I kind of pitched it in as a, a prototype project to do with the company I was working for at the time called the Heroic Labs. They do like multiplayer infrastructure for games and, and they're mostly open source as well. And um, we did this project as a sort of demonstration of uh, some of what their tech could do, but we also got to do it in multiple different engines and uh, for sort of multiple reference versions of the same tutorial that they were doing. And one of these, the, and the one that I was always the most excited about because of my existing involvement in the Rust game dev community, was a prototype made in MacroQuad with Rust. Um, and it was developed by the maker of MacroQuad, uh, Fedor, Fedor Logachev. Um, and we kind of, yeah, got this thing going together as a, as a collaboration when I sort of explained to him this basic concept that I had of a game that I wanted to do. Uh, he, he was really into it and uh, sort of did that both as a, a sort of assignment from Heroic Labs, but, but also because of, he had a vested interest in making like a proper showcase game for the, the MacroQuad engine. And so about six months maybe into that of like I had a great release with it and then um, it, the project that kind of served its purpose for what Heroic Labs needed it to do as a demo project. Um, we asked for and, and very easily got the, the permission from them kindly enough to kind of spin off the game as our own independent thing because we wanted to continue this as, as a real game project that was gonna be published and in, in stores and played on, on consoles and whatnot. Um, and yeah, we went about doing that and uh, Fedor did amazing work getting this, uh, yeah, in initial uh, more properly playable uh, prototype started and, and kind of the, turned that into a, a full framework of a game, um, which has, uh, yeah, Kind of still is not what has evolved now to the fish fight we have currently although it has certainly changed a lot over time and um yeah what is it now maybe about six months ago and then we're almost done with the whole origin story now uh, yeah i guess about six months ago or so maybe a bit more than that Federer was uh getting eager to just work more on his own frameworks again his own tools and kind of do his own game projects and uh, it was around that time that uh, Alex here, he had been involved for, for quite a bit already. Um, and I, I saw that he was doing this um, uh, sort of RPG toolkit engine thing uh, on the side. And I love these little like niche engines that try to do something, uh, some sort of specific archetype, for instance, of a game particularly well. Um, and then noticed that like he was doing all these modding things as well that seemed to map really well to what we uh, were trying to do for fish fight and we got to talking and, and kind of yeah before we knew it uh, he was just uh, yeah driving the, the, the game along and uh, yeah taking over right where uh, Fedor had, had left off and uh, uh, he's, he's now uh, sort of uh, driving the game forward together with this bunch of other uh, sort of big team of internal developers that we have, which is this, yeah, this other fun topic. 
that we can uh, get into. But yeah, started out as this sort of <laughs> idea of uh, of dreamers, and uh, then it got prototyped, and uh, then it got made into something a bit more of a real engine. And uh, here we are now, uh, about to make it into a totally stable and and published game in uh, in about four months or so. Awesome. This is really cool because I think when it comes to working on prototypes, it's often something that we can start out just a little bit with. And then we often get to a point where either like it suffices in needs or we run into some technical difficulties. And so it's really cool to see that not only could you keep building on what was already existing, but start introducing um, like new engines and new concepts into it. And so, um, Alex, I'm sort of interested, what does the uh, sort of crossover between Fish Fight and your engine that you've been working on look like? Uh, it's uh, mostly um, the the modability uh, to to create um, uh, JSON uh, JSON uh, data models for uh, for all the assets, and so you can load the assets dynam dynamically uh, instead of statically, and uh, as well for the for the items and stuff like that. So so that uh, that creates the possibility to, to at least um, mod, uh, game data uh, currently. We're going to add scripting probably in the future, but uh, for now it's just data modding. Uh, yeah, that's that's the, the key point from the engine. That was kind of the, the biggest undertaking in that engine as well, uh, was to, to kind of uh, flesh that out using Salda. All right. Um, and so I think another thing that I'm sort of curious about is that we've talked a little bit about what the project looks like as an open source model where people can come and contribute and it's, it's working in the open, um, yet you're still going for quite a large release goal. And so what does the, the project look like in terms of how it's done with open source? Yeah, we've kind of had this goal from the, the very start that we wanted to do a totally open game that is headed towards proper publishing because there just aren't too many of these types of games around and yet there isn't really anything in the way of it. Uh, yeah, you, you can perfectly well publish a, a game and, and the charge uh, a perfectly normal fee for it like any other game while it's actually uh, by and large totally open. Um, and so we we just want to set out to to prove that and uh, it was it's kind of it, it was easy to do since the start also since it started off as this kind of demonstration uh project of uh, as a tech demo and so it might as well just be totally open source and, and open and we never really needed to change it uh since and so what we do is the whole thing is uh, open source under like this sort of standard convention of, of Rust, MIT, Apache license, whereas the assets are uh, creative uh, commons license, but only for non-commercial use. So anyone can actually use our assets to, to make all sorts of, uh, yeah, demos of their own. And we had some engine makers already getting co contact about us uh, with us about it as well. Um, and, and we'd love to see more of that happen. Of just, uh, we want to see these, uh, fish assets just uh, in the wild, because uh, that's just, uh, basically spreading the word, uh, about our game as well. And so our tiny little protection that we retain is that uh, we are the only ones who get to use these assets 
commercially. And that's basically our uh, safe way into being the sellers uh, of this game. I really love how um, your approach to, to open source really helps to drive the, the community forwards and, and kind of making these available, not just to other Rust developers, to developers and other engines. And it just brings more eyes into the, to the Rust game dev community, which is incredible. I've got a quick question about the transition from, you, you talked about that early tech demo prototype and your transition from that into an open source model. Did you find that when you worked on your Rust prototype that Rust as the, a language drives you to a better design or a better architecture which makes your prototypes easier to transition into an actual full-fledged project so in the past i would sometimes code up a really quick prototype throw it away i find myself doing less of that in rust because i find rust as a language actually drives me towards a better design whether that's through compiler warnings or kind of you know patterns and architecture uh, did you find that rust helped you with your prototype in transitioning from you know something that you could take very quickly from a prototype to an open source model where you're able to show it to the world and, and start accepting contributions yeah I, I i my personal experience with rust now is uh, that it's um like i, I have a c plus plus background uh, especially when it comes to game dev and uh uh it's just the bugs are not there <laughs> basically it's uh, it's very pleasant to work with because it kind of forces you into to good practice uh of course we've had to refactor and redesign a lot but that's more because we we have added stuff like ecs uh, and uh we changed the entire way we load assets uh, and uh all that i mentioned earlier uh and uh but but in general, working with with Rust is uh, is very pleasant in that regard. You don't. Uh, it's like the borrow checker can be a hassle, but uh, or the the lifetime stuff. But uh, it kind of forces you into do to following uh, good practice uh, in your code. So so in that way, it's it's very good. So I I don't we don't have any bugs in our code. Uh, almost. It's it's like we have these uh, these. Uh, glitches maybe but that that's usually connected to the data uh, like the game data we've done something wrong in the json or something uh in the code it's uh so we just push to main and and we can uh, usually just create uh releases from that without having to do much uh bug fixing at all i really like that last comment i laughed really hard when you just said we we just push to main and do releases from there i think that's like a really good testament to uh how a lot of development in Rust can look a lot of the time. I mean, we have the saying, if it compiles, it probably works. Um, and then when it comes to bugs that you have, it is very often in like logic errors. And I mean, JSON doesn't have type safety. And so uh, a lot of fun stuff there. And while we're on this topic, I kind of just want to dive in a bit further to the, the tech stack that is used for this project. And so we've just, we've just described a little bit about macro quad. Um, but I'm quite interested in what this looks like with how maybe like you're building the project, where where you're targeting releases, um, and anything else in the pipeline that could be interesting. Yeah, uh, we um, our tech stack is basically um, uh, Quad, uh Salda for uh, for all the data stuff, and uh, also Hex for ECS. Uh, we used uh, 
Marco Quad's uh, scene uh, model in the beginning, but uh, it's um, it's uh, very object oriented. I think it's easier to to um, uh, to maintain an open source project with a with a more functional approach with text. Uh, that's why we changed that. Uh, I don't think the text stack will change anymore. We we did a major refactor of the whole game uh, during Christmas for uh, for ECS. Um, except for that, stuff uh, is working very well. We might consider making our own render at some point uh, for the engine. I don't think we will do that for Fish Fight, to be honest. At least not before one zero. Uh, so so we we don't really have that many dependencies. Uh, it's uh, we have like input libraries and stuff like that. But that's uh, forks that we we maintain ourselves. And how are you architecting um, your so using hex for it as an ECS? How are you um, maintaining that across a network so that your your kind of game states still reflect correctly uh, across multiplayer? That's what I'm working on now, actually. Uh, Currently, I'm I'm doing the the integration. We've had some. We we need to to communicate with um, with the platform uh, over uh, like it's a, a, a WebAssembly build. So we need to to kind of uh, communicate with the proxy layer to get uh, to get po- uh, proper um, sockets. But um, when that is done, I'm gonna tackle that, and that's kind of one of the big selling point of an ECS that I forgot to mention uh, is that you get a very logical divide between uh, data and logic. Like you have, if you, if you want to implement a scripting um, API, for example, it's very easy to do that when you have have uh, an ECS, you will uh, just uh, create, uh, create uh, systems with scripts and do all the components as uh, as JSON data, and and the same goes for network syncing. It's uh, it's way easier now that you you kind of have uh, uh, the possibility to to divide um, uh, the data into components that are relevant for uh, for uh, for syncing basically, and and you can also create uh, you create uh, variants of the different systems that uh, only get called if it's a uh, if you're a network client or if you're a network host or if you're um, if you're uh, playing locally only in uh, um, before we did the ECS transition we um, we used uh, the scene system as I mentioned and uh, there we just had one super class called player with uh, lots of data and and uh, the logic was uh, in in these huge update methods uh, and uh, uh, when I when I started working on the networking, I just looked at it and I, uh, <laughs> I kind of almost cried, you know, because you have to kind of uh, wrangle all the all the different parts of this uh, this huge class or struct uh, really into to divisions that are relevant for for uh, the various game modes basically and and what needs to get synced. You can't just sync the entire player struct because it's going to be massive. Uh, yeah. So, so it's way easier, I, I reckon, now with uh, with uh, ECS. It's going to be a breeze, really, uh, to do that. Uh, famous last words, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think definitely. Uh, it's cool to hear the sort of like transition that you're, you're able to make with um, using an entity component system. And I think 
Um, adding on to this topic a little bit, you described the ease of being able to have scripting interact with the entity component system. And so I'm curious, what does this look like in terms of being able to mod the game and add functionality um, that's not part of the compiled program? Uh, we haven't uh, done that yet, but we plan to. Uh, so basically, we will just um, create a system that um, that uh, either uh, it, like a system can either be uh, a statically compiled uh, Rust method. It's just methods or functions, basically. Uh, the the systems. Uh, it's just a Rust function with uh, that takes the ECS world, uh, and that's it, basically. And um, we also want to add uh, some uh, JIT compiled uh, scripting language, probably Lua, as that's the most common and, and developed uh, interface for, for uh, our use case. And then you, you just uh, JIT compile these and, and create uh, some kind of way of, uh, of getting them into the, in, into the main source code, basically, yeah. Very cool. I've seen quite a few different projects take different approaches to this, where with Valoran, we're playing around with some WebAssembly that we're working on having like compiled as plugins. And then I know the MUN language is also playing around with what it could look like to have a sort of newer version of the Lua approach. And so it's really cool to see how a lot of different Rust projects are sort of experimenting in this world of plugins that can interact as compiled pieces of code instead of necessarily just everything in a JSON file. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty cool to hear what the, uh, the plan is there. And also the fact that, I mean, if a, a mod or a plugin can have access to the entity component system, then you really have access to change whatever data you like. And so it, this does seem like a very powerful approach. I'd definitely be interested in seeing uh, how this sort of uh, matures over time. Um, when it comes to other parts of modding, the community, or in, in my opinion, with modding, it really gives a community the ability to come up with different ways to obviously have things look as well as like have things play. And so what does the current level of modding look like when it comes to maybe content instead of uh, functionality? I don't think we have um, any any active mods yet, uh, actually, but, uh, and we haven't really, like we have the, the mod loading in place. I just uh, added this, um, in the previous release uh, for one, uh, before that we just uh, like the modding works exactly, or the data modding works exactly like how we declare assets and uh, resources um, for our core game, basically. So, uh, yeah, it it um, it was there. We had the functionality to to kind of do it, but we hadn't uh, exposed it basically. So now it's exposed, uh, like a few weeks back. So, so I guess um, we should probably consider uh, pushing out uh, an announcement about uh, the possibility to do that. Actually, uh, the the data models are are going to change. That's kind of a problem. Uh, we plan to, to kind of uh, take the leverage the ECS uh, model further and, and create, like now you will declare, uh, if you declare a item, for example, it's um, you follow a, a, a data structure for item, but we instead want to kind of uh, transition to, to every uh, resource or asset, 
what would you call it? Not not like a, a texture resource, but kind of a game data entity. Uh, you will just declare as a, as a as an array of components, basically. Uh, that way, you can uh, you can uh, take the modding even further, probably because uh, you want like the the item entity won't be restricted to to a strict data model. You can kind of uh, add components that uh, the core game didn't intend item to have in a mod and, and act on that with uh, with uh, scripts and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the plan for that. Uh, so so um, it might not be a wise thing to, to, to push for modding yet. Maybe I don't know when we will do this, but uh, yeah, that's probably why we haven't done it yet. I reckon I think Alan is the social media guy, so <laughs> so it's kind of uh, his area. Yeah, well, probably for starters, at least we haven't even mentioned like our, our recent addition of hats, which I'm super excited about. We have uh, fuchsias with hats now, so that's probably going to be our sort of soft announcement of this thing. So even if some things are are still stabilizing, I think we're going to try to encourage some initial customization on that end. Nice. And so it does sound like there is some foundation there, but it's not just um, up up to snuff for like full modding just yet. But then I think adding on to that, what I'm curious about is what does it look like for a new contributor, to, uh, a new contributor to come and start working on the project, whether or not maybe they know Rust or if they're super familiar with the idea, but they want to come and add something to the game. What does that look like? Well, we have um, on, on GitHub, we have... Um... Uh, we we uh, we actively use the the issue tracker on GitHub. So uh, whenever there is an issue that is uh, good for for new people, we we kind of mark it or tag it as that. Uh, and uh, that's been the main uh, entry point for for new people uh, in my experience. They just uh, go in there and pick something they they would like to do, and uh, and then they do it. Uh, and of course, I, I have experience with the training devs and stuff like that from, from uh, working as a consultant and freelancer. So, so I kind of have an open, open DM policy on, on uh, Discord so they can ask me if they need help. And I'll be happy to do that. That's really cool. Um, in terms of tooling, do you have any sort of uh, in-house tools like a, uh, a map editor or, or tools that you've written in Rust? that you use for development that you may be open source um, at a later date or, or if you currently do it at the moment? Yeah, I, I that was kind of my first big contribution was uh, to create a map editor. Uh, that's uh, actually internal to the game now. So you can, uh, from the main menu, you can choose editor and um, and you can go in and, and create maps there. It's um, it's a it's a internal format we use, uh, but it's very, uh, very uh, based on or inspired, I would say, from uh, by Thailand. Uh, it's kind of it's almost the same. Uh, we also plan to to extend this editor to to kind of allow um, modding, uh, basically. So you you would uh, be able to to actually uh, edit items as well in this, uh, yeah, and player characters and stuff like that, not just map. Uh, yeah, and we might might consider. Um, not sure about that, but we might consider uh, 
making a build of that that is uh, separate from the game as well. Uh, especially when we start doing the the items and all that stuff, it's gonna be um, uh, a bit tricky to to create the good interfaces in in uh, in game uh, with uh, with the uh, uh, Marco Padui framework and stuff like that. It would be nice to have a, a native tool maybe at some point, but uh, yeah, it's not on the on the top of the priority list. Yeah, I, I find that tooling when making a game is like something that's super duper cool to have and like the idea of like being able to just go have an editor and have all of these different things that interact with the engine that you're creating but i as a developer as well i focus a lot more on knowing like okay i know the code base i don't need to make tooling right now for myself but then having other people come on to the project um it would definitely be something that can get others up and running much more quickly for certain parts of uh, of contributions and so um and, and sort of on that topic, um, I mean, like, I guess this is sort of taking a little bit of a leap, but with uh, how the development of Fish Fight is going, I've seen in some recent blog posts this idea of, um, like, open game dev school. And I was wondering, what's the interaction between, well, for, first of all, like, a little bit about what it is, but also what's the interaction between it and the potential for working on um, Fish Fight with contributions and new developers coming in? Yeah, this ties into sort of a whole bunch of different posts that uh, I've written recently on behalf of uh, Spicy Lobsters, what we call sort of the, the studio behind uh, Fish Fights. And up until recently, we haven't had much of a reason to even sort of refer to ourselves as the, the Spicy Lobster team because it, we're just, we've just been the Fish Fight team and Fish Fight has, uh, yeah, sort of hosted these uh, various different um, uh, other projects bringing out from it, uh, including some sort of fish fight themed spin-off games. But at this point, we're kind of involving uh, more games in this same um, umbrella as well. So the the larger spicy lobster approach is just following on with this open way of doing game development. We apply that to how we work with contributors as well, and that we just kind of have this open door policy of if you want to get involved, we're just like any other open project, uh, you can just start working on whatever catches your fancy. And we have this kind of suite of projects that you can get involved with, uh, some of which aren't even uh, Rust projects, although Rust is kind of our, uh, that's, that's the core language, sort of the foundational tech of our uh, little studio uh, startup that we're doing. Um, and so we, we work with a lot of new uh, sort of first time contributors to a game, uh, both among coders, but also all sorts of other things like uh, pixel artists and uh, audio artists uh, and sort of just general designers. Um, and uh, sort of DevRel, like uh, education people, uh, we, we work with all of it because you, you need all of those components to build a full game. Uh, so we've very intentionally never been a, a sort of coding exclusive type of open source project. And that also involves uh, actually paying people uh, sometimes. If they're like a student type of person, then 
a hundred bucks here and there for a little uh, small specific assignment that uh, we want done um, that's sort of strategic to us. Therefore, we're willing to to pay for it. That makes it a lot easier to to work with a lot of people. And we've done this for like thirty odd people so far for all sorts of things. Uh, again, in like ranging from anything from code all the way up to uh, art things. Um, we do these little paid gigs and kind of ramp it up over time if people are interested in, in keeping it going. And for the more experienced people like uh, sort of Alex and myself and, and several others who are also involved at this point, we are kind of uh, deferring on, on any sort of payment because we are just investing our time so fully in this uh, game instead and, and we just believe in its uh, future potential. Uh, so since kind of smaller payments don't mean as much to us, we'd rather just, uh, yeah, work purely pro bono, but uh, uh, yeah, just kind of be, be considered uh, major stakeholders of the game instead. And a bit of a, a late tie-in here, but that's a, that's a really important note for uh, Rust as well in terms of contributor friendliness. It's been quite incredible to see how approachable Rust is, even for really young programmers just beginning with game development, because I was a little worried that maybe we'd have a hard time getting contributors involved in a game that is also written in the, the sort of systems level language of Rust. But I think our experience has been that, that it, it might sort of perform almost better than any other language, again, because of that ability of if it works, it works. And uh, people's contributions, there's sort of less anxiety and uncertainty around all of it because, uh, yeah, if you just get it working, then uh, there's only so much uh, bad stuff you can do with sort of the existing code base. So we can quite fearlessly accept all these contributions from people without a whole lot of overheads. Uh, maybe Alex wants to add a bit to that. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. Um... Uh, the Marco Quad library is uh, props to Fedor. It it does a very good job of handling the you no know, hiding the more complex aspects of Rust. Basically, you don't have to deal with any uh, any lifetimes or stuff like that. So so it kind of makes stuff uh, very easy to to deal with for new people. Uh, I would say it's not uh, very much harder to 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 code. Uh, for our game in Rust than it is to to code in JavaScript. Uh, kind of, it isn't dynamic uh, and it's type safe, but uh, with Rust's good uh, type deletion and stuff like that, it kind of, it, it's not very different, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and I do just want to mention here, shameless plug, but if you want to learn more about Macro Quad, uh, Macro Quad we have episode four of the Rust Game Dev podcast was an interview with uh, with Fedora about it. And so lots of lots to, to learn there as well. Um, Erland, one thing that you mentioned that I really want to echo is this feature of um, the community of Rust being right up there. And for me, I like rank it the same almost as like the borrow checker, right? Like it's so core to me that the community is wanting to not only make a great language, but to support one another 
and branch out into these other domains and working groups, such as like the, the game dev working group and work on such cool things. And I mean, for myself, being like a, a team member of the, the working group has meant that I've been able to reach out to so many people working on so many different amazing things and talk to them in environments like this, like the podcast and write about them in the, the monthly newsletter. And so I think for myself, I really highly value the, uh, the, the community. Um, one thing I'm sort of curious about is when it comes, or actually, I mean, adding on a little bit is more, uh, more as well, the idea of fish fight and spicy lobster sort of being this collective of being able to do good work. Uh, it seems really awesome in that people could come in and do sort of these um, micro gigs when it comes to implementing a feature, can come in to learn, can come in to experience what it's like to um work on game development projects and so for the community side of fish fight um i've seen quite a few i mean i've read quite a few of the the dev blog posts from uh from from the uh from the project but what might community outreach look like when it comes to more of the integrations with either like partners or with um other stuff for spicy lobster well the big uh yeah, the big partnership that we've got going on now is um, with this new platform called Ultimate, a sort of uh, browser-based games platform. And this is going to be sort of our next big uh, community bet, if you will, because we obviously have our own uh, sort of core foundation of a game that is it's on its own path anyhow, and we're going to be publishing to probably... Uh, after this uh, ultimate thing, uh, Steam is going to be up next. And then it's kind of whatever other platform, especially uh, console, we can get on from there. Uh, we're just going to try our hardest to, to get there because uh, we want the game to be playable uh, everywhere uh, and on whichever platform it uh, can be uh, yeah, built for. And that's basically anything because uh, Rust and MacQuad are, are great and for that, uh, for the cross-platform story. So... Yeah, this this whole ultimate thing, um, that's kind of the big uh, next community play because this is this whole other uh, thing that we're tying ourselves uh, together with. And uh, they, they are kind of doing, obviously, they're going to be making some sort of community platform of their own uh, with us as uh, one of their partners, sort of uh, launch games. Uh, we're going to be probably one of a few of, of launch games of, of their platform. Um, and we're really excited about that since uh, we're going to get to then kind of, yeah, be, be a pretty, play a pretty big part in making or breaking this, this platform. Uh, but we feel pretty good about it because uh, we're then going to be kind of a, a small fish or sort of, a, sort of sorry, a, a big fish in a, in a small pond, um, which is kind of the, the experience overall in the rust game dev ecosystem uh, as all uh, as well so that's kind of uh, a general recurring play we have uh, going on so that's something we'll yeah hopefully be beginning to share a whole lot more about in the next few months um i'm hesitant to give we, we've been talking in terms of deadlines on this uh, for the, the last month or so but of course they're like a, a startup of their own and they are, are building uh, their platform as we speak and so uh yeah it, it, we can never speak with complete certainty on when 
we will have our game available for play on their platform. But that's where this big deadline of uh, mid middle of the year uh, comes in, is when Fishbite is going to be properly playable as a multiplayer game in the browser on their platform. And obviously, sometime before that, uh, hopefully, yeah, by some months before, we'll have some, some sort of playable test for people to uh, just, yeah, get a link and then jump on it together. And so that's the very fun sort of back to Flash days community aspect of it as well that makes it very shareable um, and uh, that meshes well with our very community-driven approach to it overall as well. Yeah, it sounds like you have some really exciting deadlines coming up over the, the next few months. Um, and before we leave it off here today, I do want to ask one more question again about the future. We've talked a little bit about the community, but I'm curious what types of um, maybe spin-off games might be able to come from the base that you're creating right now? Or what ambitions do we have for either next projects or where uh, Fish Fight can go next? Uh, yeah, yeah, I had totally <laughs> forgotten about it. So thanks for reminding me of that. Uh... We're doing this really fun thing with the assets that we've created for Fish Fight. We, we sort of uh, looked at them and realized like these, these can work in many different types of games and we'd love for them to be used more widely because we're just so happy, honestly, with the work done uh, originally by the, the pixel artist uh, called, known as Pixel Frog on Twitter. And uh, he was uh, sort of our, our founding uh, artist uh, made our sort of, yeah, went through some iterations of art style with us and, and landed finally on this. And uh, yeah, did amazing work, still does, uh, but he's, he has less time now for, for game development uh, these days, but he's still involved. And we're just now kind of continuing uh, off of his uh, guidelines and established style. And we tried this thing out first for one demo of this kind of uh, side-scrolling beat-em-up game where there was this existing game out there and we just asked some existing modders of it, like, hey, do you want to just grab our assets and try to put them in that game um, and just see if it sort of works in, in that style and, and universe? And they just sort of, yeah, plopped it in and we saw our, our little fish people running around, punching people in the face in this whole other form of a game and it worked uh, beautifully. Uh, and we realized that, yeah, we, we, we want to take this uh, fish fight concept and sort of make a whole fish world of different games that, that can all use the same assets and, and probably like different uh, custom tailored to the different genres as well, variations of it. But it's all sort of using the same core and, and the same baseline art style. And so including now sort of the original fish fight that we're, we're now transitioning. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if this sticks, but I'm trying to start this kind of new convention to see if we, uh, we like it, um, where every game is sort of a fish fight game and then it's followed with a, a single name that uh, tries to describe what it's mostly about. And so the original fish fight game that we have now is going to be called Fish Fight Jumpy. And this... Um, yeah, uh, the first spin-off project that we started doing, this beat-em-up game, is going to be Fish Fight Punchy. And we have this third prototype already made that was a sort of Among Us-style game, but it's mostly just inspired by that general format. Uh, but it can be, yeah, turned into just about anything, and it's now just kind of this simple little mini-game 
made in, in Unity, actually, uh, just for the, the initial prototype. That's known as uh, Fish Fight Sati. And yeah, all of these projects are like, if you're interested in doing uh, the Rust version of this, come talk to us. Uh, because that's the end goal for all of it is uh, we, we don't really care how we initially get these games made and even get them uh, popular uh, and get people involved. But there will always be this, uh, the, the end goal for all of them are, is still always a Rust version and probably built on all of the, the same engine as well. But we're just starting with the assets and that's kind of our way of... Uh, uh, yeah, getting these projects going very, very quickly and then seeing something sort of fun on the screen that uh, we can say uh, safely is going to work. Great. It's really cool to hear sort of this experimentation of being able to take the assets, put them in different places and see where they work with mechanics. Um, I've definitely tried this type of thing before when I've done prototyping but not to the level of necessarily using the same assets, but it, it can really just give you a lot of different ideas about how um, stuff might might work, how stuff might look. And so I think this is a really exciting sort of path to take as the development continues. And so I'm super excited to see where uh, Fish Fight goes over the next few months. I do hope that I can see more blog posts just because they're really great to read and kind of see where a lot of the ideas are and not just about the game itself, but about a lot of the surrounding stuff. So... Um, with that, we'll leave it off for today. So Alex and Erland, thank you so much for coming out and talking to us about Fish Fight and giving us a little bit of an update. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for uh, yeah your many involvements in the community as well. It's uh, Rust Game No community is uh, <laughs> the fun place to be. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. And so uh, with that, that is the end of today's podcast. We will be back uh, next time, probably in a few weeks. And we'll see what we have done.